0: So when my cousins and I were younger, uh, we would stay over at my grandparents' house during the day while our parents were working. It, it would actually be myself, my younger brother, uh, and and two of my cousins who were both older than me. And uh, so we would stay there during the day. Our, our parents would come pick us up after work. and But we would hang out at grandma's house and uh, our grandma would take us over to the swap meet. Uh, some of you might know it as the ramate right? She would take us over there on Mondays. Uh, it was just, I mean, just, we could have walked there from her house, but she was grandma, so we drove there. It was awesome. And uh, while we were there, we, we ended up picking up a new hobby because something for these uh, little boys walking around the swap meet uh, caught our eyes, caught our attention. Uh, guns, and, but not like real ones. They don't, well, they're not supposed to sell those there. That's not how that's supposed to work. If they do, it's illegal, but um, no, like, like fake ones, but they were airsoft guns. And so what these do is, uh, they have these little plastic BBs in them that you can shoot at each other, and uh, they, they kind of hurt. I mean, if you've got a good one, it'll leave a welt, and uh, you'll know that you got hit. And so as these little boys, like this was the coolest thing that could possibly happen to us. Grandma wasn't gonna let us get paintball guns or anything like that, so this was the next best thing. So we begged our grandma to let us get into this, and uh, we were allowed to buy these with her money under one condition. We had one rule. You cannot shoot each other with them. So all of us unanimously agreed to lie to our grandma about our intentions. And uh, so we promised, no, 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 we would never shoot each other with these. It'll be great. We promise. We'll just, we just want these to set up soda cans. Like we all had real BB guns. Why would we need these if we weren't going to shoot them at each other? And, uh, but no, she let us get them, and, and so we got those, and, and we would always, during the day, we'd go to Grandma's house, and we'd wait for her to fall asleep in her chair watching TV. It was like clockwork. It always happened. And so we would, we would then go to the cupboards, and we'd pull out all these, these uh, clear plastic guns. They got the orange tip and everything on them. We'd go through. We'd load up all of our magazines. We'd set teams, and then we'd set a timer that we had so long to go out and hide, and we'd do capture the flag or whatever. We'd, we'd have all these games that we did with them. And it was great until Logan happened. Logan is the oldest of the four of us, he's my cousin, and uh, he decided to take this game to the next level. And so what he did is he went and found his actual, his real BB gun that shoots the metal BBs, and he went and got a hollowed out pen and some duct tape and taped that on the end of it, and then he took some of those little yellow plastic BBs, dropped them in the end of it, pumped his, his gun way too many times, and started shooting us with that. And and he had essentially manufactured an unstoppable shotgun, and the game wasn't fun anymore. It it, quite frankly, it hurt too much to be fun anymore. And maybe this could have been avoided if there were some clear rules. I don't know why grandma didn't set up some clear rules for us beforehand, but... uh, (laughs) You know, if if there were clear guidelines for us going into this, that, that this is how this game is gonna be played, this is how we're gonna do it, you you can't do these sorts of things. You can't manufacture uh, weapons of mass destruction. That's not allowed because it's not going to be fun anymore. And you're going to win every game, and the the other three are quit. When we don't ha- seem to have a clear understanding of the rules, the game isn't fun anymore. So if you can't tell, we're we're starting a new series this week. We're going to be jumping into the Book of Galatians, and uh, I can't make any promises. This might be a shorter sermon. I always practice them. It was shorter when I practiced it. We'll see what happens. We're only going through the first five verses. So don't get your hopes up, but, but maybe get your hopes up. That's all I can say. Uh, but, but so the big idea of this book is that there were two parties who couldn't seem to agree on the rules. Two different groups of people that one said, well, Christianity works this way, and the other one said, well, Christianity works this way. And this was the whole reason That Paul wrote the book. What did it actually mean to follow Jesus? Was it was it Judaism or was it Christianity? Which which side do you pick? Do you have to pick a side? And and so Paul helps us break all of this down and, and he tries to make it easy for us to understand that these are the basic principles, the basic tenets of Christianity. These are the rules and these are all of the extras Uh, And the things that he goes over aren't necessarily bad things, but we have to have a clear expectation of what the rules are going forward. And so Paul writes this book to the churches in the region of Galatia. That's why it's called the book of Galatians. He writes to all these churches in Galatia who have been influenced to set, set forth for them clear understanding of the rules. And so we've got to backtrack a little bit. We've got to get some history before we can jump into the, see, I told you the first five verses. We're going to look at a couple more, but it's before Galatians, so it's still the first five in Galatians, but we're going to go back to the book of Acts, and we're going to look at chapter 14, starting in verse 26. And so it says here, from Adaliah they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. This is important because this is what sets up everything that we know about the book of Galatians. So so to get some backstory first, you've got to understand that you can't just open any book of the Bible and read it like any other book of the Bible. You have to first subject yourself to the narrative that the writer is setting forth, You've got to understand some basic principles. I mean, you wouldn't pick up one of your children's uh, bedtime stories and read it the same way as the newspaper, right? You understand that the writers of each of these have different intents while they're writing. And so we have to understand who is, who is the subject of who this is being written to. In a bedtime story, we know that it's children. We know that there's going to be things that don't make sense. We know that when we're reading Dr. Seuss. The English is going to be a little wonky because that's how Dr. Seuss writes, and we don't criticize his grammar for it, right? But we know when we read the newspaper, we expect adult articles. We expect to know the facts. We want to know what's going on in our lives. And and so we have to have the same perception when we're reading the books of the Bible. We have to know who's being written to, who's who's writing, how are they writing to us? And so the first thing that we have to understand is this. Who are these Gentiles? Gentiles. There was a door open to the Gentiles. What does that even mean to be a Gentile? When, when Paul uh, was converted on the road to Damascus, he was first called Saul, and, and he was on his way to kill some Christians. Uh, that's, that's what he did. And when he was on his way to that, he encountered this man named Jesus. You might have heard of him before. And Jesus, uh, he, he just broke down all of Paul's walls. He, he showed Paul that it was actually God himself that Paul was working against. And Paul's life was totally transformed from that point. And it was in this moment that that Jesus made a promise to Paul. And he explained to him that this is going to be the man that I use to reach the nations, to reach the Gentiles, to reach the rest of the world. It's going to start with Paul. And so what are the Gentiles? Well, in in the Bible, you've got two groups of people, right? You have the Jews and you have the Gentiles. And what that means, if, if the Jews are the first group then the Gentiles are everybody who's not a Jew, right? I mean, it's, it's pretty simple, right? You've got Jews and, and not Jews, or in other words, Gentiles. So, so this is probably pretty familiar to us. I'd be willing to bet that most of us in here probably fall into that Gentile category. Uh, being from North America, being from uh, this particular continent, maybe there are some Jews here, but I'd be willing to bet that most of us are probably not Jews. We fall into this Gentile category. And you have Paul to thank for starting the mission of bringing the good news of Jesus to people like us. But so the Gentiles, not being the Jews, we're we're talking, I mean, all of the other countries. You've got all of these different regions, all of these different cultures, all of these different religions. Uh, You've got people like the Greeks who realistically had all of the religions. I mean, they were talked about for having statues to unknown gods just in case we forgot someone. Right? So all of these different things going on and Paul met each of these people where they were. And and this is this is right there with with what we are trying to work with as as a church, what we're trying to work for as a church. We're we're working towards trying to create a church that the unchurched love to attend. And this is the same thing that Paul was doing. Paul was going out to the people who didn't know the Old Testament stories. They didn't know about this man, Jesus, who had lived and died and and risen again from the grave. They didn't know all of these stories. And Paul came to them. He met them where they were in their culture. He lived as they did. He went to the places of worship that they went to. And he shared this good news of Jesus. And this is just like the narrative of Jesus. This is what Jesus was all about. I mean, think about the time that Jesus spent with the religious leaders versus the time that Jesus spent with with those who weren't very religious at all. We see stories of him uh, meeting the broken, going to the people who seemed to have nothing, going to the people that the rest of the world seemed to outcast. And when the religious leaders would approach him, Jesus said all sorts of hurtful things to them. I mean, he, he would call them uh, these whitewashed sepulchers and, and he would have all sorts of names for them and, and they were called a brood of vipers and I mean, just genuinely not very nice things to the religious leaders. So who was it that Jesus was after? I mean, he specifically say, said to us that, that the physician comes to the sick, not the healthy. And so Paul was going to those who didn't know about Jesus. And so these Galatians were just that. They were the people who didn't know about Jesus. They were people who had settled in this new land and they had the religions that they came from, the religions that they were coming to, and all of this was colliding together. And here comes Paul with something brand new. And that's what's being set forth to them. So, so this portion of Acts is, is written right around the same time, probably, that Paul went and visited these churches through here, probably established a lot of these churches. When he went through and, and, and shared the gospel and showed people what it meant to worship the true God, uh, who, who is Jesus. But once the Gentiles received this good news of Jesus, here comes some other Christians or some other Jews. And they said, well, you've got part of the story. Paul gave you part of it. See, these are the rules that you know, but we've got some other rules that you need to know. We've got some other things that you need to be doing. And and Paul came in to, to fix all of this. And so we see a little bit of starting, actually, the next verse here. It's Acts chapter 15. We're moving forward a chapter, but it's actually the very next verse. And so it says, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers Unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This is exactly the same thing that was presented to the Gentiles, to, specifically to the Galatians. That we've got other rules you need to follow. See, I understand this whole grace thing. Paul wrote about in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace you've been through, saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It's not of works so that no one can boast, right? And, and, but the Galatians are saying, but unless you do this thing, you're not saved. Like, I understand this whole grace thing, but, but maybe there's something else to add here. So here's where the rules begin to get unclear. Do you follow the customs of Moses or those of Jesus? Do they contradict? Or is there maybe a fundamental misunderstanding of the customs of Moses being taught here? Because, see, Jesus told us that he didn't come to abolish the law. He didn't come to get rid of all of that. He came to fulfill it, right? He came to be that man who no one else could be. So the Jews have one idea. The Gentiles have another. So naturally, just like the big brother who knows everything. Say, so I can speak to this because I'm the big brother and I know how this works. Is, is you go to your little brother all the time and you say, hey, you have no idea what you're doing. Your life is a disaster. You're a mess. Let me show you how to live your life Right? Like, this is, this is just what big brothers do. See, I, I have my own course of life. I did things a certain way. They worked for me. And because it worked for me, then it has to work for you too because I've done it and it worked and I'm a genius. And so little brothers got to do what big brother does. And the Jews are coming in and they're playing that same game. That, listen, this is what we did. This is what works for us. So you must have to do this too. So this, all of a sudden, this isn't about rules. This is about what worked for you. This is about how did Jesus meet you where you are and not letting Jesus meet the Galatians where they are. So Paul, as you can imagine, had a little bit of an offense to what the Jews were doing here. Paul had personally gone and shared the gospel with these people, the good news of Jesus. Paul had personally gone and watched these people get saved, watched their lives get transformed. He personally watched as these these churches got formed and as the message of Jesus continued to go forth in this region. And so when the Jews came in and started changing things, you can imagine, I would be personally offended, so he writes to them. He comes in to fix things. And so, let's start in Galatians chapter 1 then, verse 1. Paul, an apostle. We're going to stop there. This might be a long series. We'll see. Paul, an apostle. And so, so we're going to spend a little bit of time just just looking at this. And uh, Because first, we have to understand, what does this word mean? There are a lot of uh, what we would call religious-sounding words in the Bible. Uh, Some of us call them Christianese, Right? And, and we have a tendency when we read these words like, uh, like apostle or glory or sanctified or holy or, or propitiation or, or whatever it is, we have a tendency to read these words and what we say in our head is of religious significance, right? God makes us holy, so he makes us of religious significance. That's, that's how we read it in our heads. But we understand that these words actually mean something, Right? There's there's something behind these words. So, I want to unpack these to us just a little bit so we have an understanding of of what Paul is saying, why Paul is saying this, and what exactly is being communicated to us. So, the word apostle specifically means one sent, it means a messenger, somebody who's taking a message to somebody else. This is, this is the general idea of what it means. And so, so it would be easy to think, well, any Christian then would fall under this category. We're all messengers. We're all supposed to be sharing the gospel. We're all supposed to be sharing the things of Jesus. We can all fall under this. But, but in the Bible, we see that it doesn't quite work that easily. Not everybody's, not all the Christians are called apostles. We have apostles and, and we have prophets and we have uh, leaders in other places. We have just disciples. All sorts of these different words were used So specifically, what we see in the Bible every time an apostle is mentioned is there's one key difference, one small factor that causes them to be called apostles, and that's that each of these people were personally, personally sent out by Jesus himself. Now, this is is significant, right? I mean, it should make a difference to us, who, who sent these people? Where'd they come from? Who'd they get the message from? It means a little bit more to be sent forth by Jesus. And so, so we're going to unpack this a little bit more. So going on in Galatians 1, Paul an apostle, not from men nor through man. So see how he's unpacking. This is what he means with this word apostle. But through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. We see Paul all over the New Testament defending his position as an apostle. And and this is important because he doesn't defend it from the other apostles. They accepted him. They were were glad to see him. They took him in, and and they worked with Paul. But the people who he wrote to, oftentimes, were, were a little bit more skeptical because here's the difference with Paul. If you read the accounts given to us from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, these people who wrote the narrative of the life of Jesus, guess who's not there? Paul doesn't show up once. We don't see him until later. We don't see him until the book of Acts. And so he's not in these stories like everybody else. But Paul wants to make clear what his position was because if he's going to come in and tell these people how to do Christianity right, well, then he better have some authority behind it, right? There there better be something going on. See, it would be easy for us to oftentimes say, well, it's, it's kind of the same thing, Seth. Like, I mean, each of us are called by God into our positions and everything. And, so, but understand it this way. You know, I'm, I'm, when I came here, when I started pastoring here, I could easily say that God called me to this position, which I believe that he did. But it's a little bit different than how it worked for Paul because I was hired by the senior pastor of South Valley Community Church to do this. See, here on this planet, somebody else called me to this position. Somebody else made this happen. But Paul, face-to-face with Jesus, was sent out. That's the difference. The difference would be if Jesus walked in the door and said, hey guys, Seth is going to be your pastor now. Good luck. You're going to need it, probably. And, and then he left. Like, that would be the difference. And if this doesn't make sense, think about it this way. Because again, you've got to know the weight that Paul's coming with. So the book of James is, is believed that it was probably written by the brother of Jesus, James. And, and so when we read that book, think about it in this regard. What would it take for you to convince a sibling that you're God? Right? I mean, it's going to take a little bit. It's going to take a little bit. Maybe even just the miracles don't cut it because they didn't for Jesus. He was going out, doing all these different things, raising people from the dead, uh, turning water into wine, taking a couple fish and a couple loaves of bread and feeding thousands with them. And Jesus, oh, I don't know, this is... Just, I mean, God, though, like you believe you have the power to forgive sins? You, you believe that you came from heaven and came to earth and I just, I don't know, Jesus. And so maybe you'd have to pull off something like, I don't know, like dying and then being not dead after you were dead and, and something kind of like what Jesus did. And, and we see that ultimately the brother of James did believe that Jesus was God. And so when we read the words from the book of James, isn't there just a little more weight there? Isn't there a little bit more value? If his own brother believed him and believed him to the point that he was willing to put his life on the line for it, maybe there's something else there. Maybe there's some more value there. And so Paul is showing us that he was sent by Jesus. There's there's some value, there's weight to the words that we're going to read in this book of Galatians. And so Paul writes in verse two, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So here's where we're getting. This is where Paul's writing. And and this is this is these are the churches. These are the who is he writing to? Is he writing a children's book? Is he writing a newspaper? He's he's writing to the Gentiles who are already in churches. These are already Christians. These are already believers and he's helping to unpack for them what exactly it means to follow Jesus. So remember before Uh, that we read in the book of Acts that Paul had shared the gospel with the Gentiles and and they were coming to know the things of Jesus through his ministry. So these were early Christians. They were brand new to their faith that Paul had shared with them and it's important to remember this because this means that they were quite likely very impressionable. See, when you first start to learn something, if somebody comes in who's in that background and tells you something about it, okay, that, that sounds good. I believe that, right? It's it's not very hard to convince you of things when you're brand new. You're you're in a position that you're wanting to learn more. You're grabbing to anything that anyone could teach you. This is the position that the Galatians are in. It's easy to convince them. So we have to first get an understanding of of these churches and what exactly they would have been going through. So we've got a map of Galatia here. And so what's going on here is this is... Galatia was a region of Asia Minor. You can probably see... um, kind of bluish, greenish area, if I'm guessing colors. You can see it going up in the map, all right over here. This is this region of Galatia, all up in there, and there were different churches scattered in there. And so what had happened is, is these Celtic people had come in, and they had, this was their new home. This is where they were living now. And so they had brought some of their beliefs with them. And what had happened is, is these Celts, living in, in what is close to modern-day Turkey now, started to get Hellenized. Or in other words, what that means is they started becoming like the Greeks, believing the things about the Greeks. And the Roman Empire set up, and these were people that you can look in actual history books and find out that these were people that were supremely loyal to the Roman Empire. Anything that the Roman Empire was about, they were about. They moved to this new land, they embraced their new land, they were a part of their new land. And so they're coming from one religion, coming and grabbing on to the things of the Romans, and here comes Paul to mess everything up for them and shares the story of Jesus. And it makes sense. And they start buying into this. And and being Roman culture, and Paul being a Roman, was fit to meet them where they were, to share with them in their culture the things that they knew, the things that they would understand, And again, this is the same model of Jesus, coming to meet people where they are, right where you are in your culture. And yeah, he's he's gonna pull some strings. He's gonna get you to change. You're gonna be a brand new person all said and done. But Jesus doesn't just come in and say, okay, now that that you heard about me five minutes ago, you have to be perfect from here on out or we're done. We never see that, right? Jesus meets you where where you are and he says, okay, this, this thing that you're struggling with, let's work on this. Let's change this. And then we take it a step further. And okay, let's start changing some other things. Let's Your culture that you're living in, here are some areas that, that we should probably work out, that we should start. So he meets us and then slowly pulls us through this process. This is why Paul writes to the church uh, in Thessalonica in the book of 1 Thessalonians, and he talks about, he uses this religious word again, this Christianese, sanctified. That just means to set you apart, to use you for a different purpose. And he says that the God of peace sanctifies us mind, body, and spirit. And he tells us that this is happening over time. This is a process. You're not immediately this brand new person. It takes time. We're we're gonna work through this and change you over some time. So this is where we get to this point of, this idea of Galatians, rethinking religion. Rethinking what we know. What are the rules? What are the expectations set forth by Jesus? What are the rules that he set up Versus what are the rules that culture has taught us? The things that other people have come in, other Christians have come in and said, well, well, this is what we were doing over here, so this must be what you have to do here. And then coming back and just saying, hold, hold on, hold on, what are the actual rules that are set forth for us? This is where the book of Galatians applies to us. Knowing what is fact and what's all the fillers, everything else that comes in. So we should be appreciative to Paul that he wrote this book, because this allows us to look back and, and get some of this stuff right. So what, what we've got to do is we first have to get the foundation. What is the foundation of all things that are based in Christianity? Galatians 1.3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So right out of the gates, Paul gives the gospel. This is step one. This is is the first rule that you need to understand, that Jesus gave himself for our sins. So this is what this inherently means. And I'm sorry, this is just what the Bible says. It means you're a bad person. It means you're not a good person who makes mistakes. It means you're not a good person who made some bad decisions. It means you're a bad person who, when you do things right, you actually only do them because they make you feel good, right? You're inherently bad. You're born with this, what, what the Bible calls a sin nature. And the Bible makes this incredibly clear to us. In the book of Ephesians, we're told that you were born dead in your sins. That's harsh. Right? That's, that's where we stand. That's where every single one of us is born dead in our sins. You know what dead people can do to save themselves? No. Nothing. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. So, so hopefully... There's somebody else who's willing to do something for us. And this is why all through the Old Testament, we read all these crazy, what what looked like these crazy religious stories with all these crazy things going on. You see all these people who are killing and sacrificing these animals and and doing all this other stuff, but there's, there's something at the root of all of these things happening, and that's this. I made a mistake, and judgment is necessary, so someone has to pay the price for my mistake. And so they would sacrifice these animals as a picture of what would eventually come, what would eventually happen. In other words, in each of these instances, someone sinned. And so then we get to the New Testament when we see the culmination of this picture in Jesus, that he comes, this perfect man, lives a perfect life, and takes on every single one of our sins to say that you can have life again. I will take this judgment for you. See, if, if you're going you to love, then you have to be just at the same time, right? Do you really love your kid if you're willing to just let him play in the street because he wants to do whatever he wants? That's not a rhetorical question, guys. Oh, man, none of you guys are watching my kids. <laughs> no, if you love your kid, you don't let them run in the street. You set up rules. You set up boundaries, right? And so Jesus, who loves, there's punishment, for the things that we've done. But what he does, he comes and he says, I'll take it all for you. You can't pay this price yourself. I will give myself for your sins. And then Paul moves on and says that he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. So so the what of Jesus coming was to give himself for our sins. That's what he did, but why did he do it? What was in this for us? So it's important for us to understand that this word deliver uh, it, it gives us this idea of him delivering us from the power of this present evil age not just the presence of it right i mean we, we would be foolish to think that we've been delivered from the presence of this evil age we, we see it all over the place we see broken people we see hurting people we see lives falling apart we haven't been delivered from the presence of this evil age that's still to come however we have been delivered from the power of this current evil age. You know, when I, when I became an adult, got married, moved out, and all of that, um, I, I live now with my wife, and I remember one, one time at night, I thought to myself, you know what, ice cream sounds really good right right now. And then I said, no, 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 said, you're about to go to bed, ice cream's a bad idea before bed. And then I stopped myself again and I said, you know what, Seth, you are a grown man, and if you want ice cream before bed, it is your right as an adult to make that decision and have ice cream before bed. So you know what I did? I had ice cream before bed, and when I was done, I left my bowl on the floor, and I went to bed, because I'm an adult, and I can do what I want. <laughs> until my wife doesn't like it. and So I don't leave my bowls on the floor anymore. But, um, but, but no, no, no. But see, my, my parents are still present, and sometimes my parents and I disagree on the way that our lives should be lived out. Sometimes they disagree about the things that I should be doing to lead my family, but ultimately... That's my decision at this point. I'm the one who's married. I'm the one who has a family to lead. So I don't live under their power, so to speak, anymore. And I, and I should make clear, because my parents listen to these sermons, that I am not comparing them to this present evil age. Uh, they're good parents. I love you, Mom and Dad. Um, but, but no, But I, I, while they are still present, I don't live under their power anymore. They can make suggestions to me. I can take those suggestions. But ultimately... I'm the one responsible for my family. And then Paul says this to us, according to the will of our God and Father. And this is important for us to understand because we need to understand the heart of God in all of this. Your redemption, your salvation are all part of his plan. He wants you. He looked at these broken people who can't seem to do anything for themselves, who keep making mistakes, And he said, that's who I want. I want those people. That's his will, that not anyone would perish. All of this violence and pain in the world, all of the violence and pain that's even made its way into the church, is all going to come to an end at some point, because the will of God demands it. And what he wants, he gets. So when I was in fourth grade... Um, I made the ultimate mistake a fourth grader could make. And uh, my teacher came to me, and she showed me some paperwork that I had done, and she said, Seth, is, is this your paperwork? And I assured her that it was. And as she was pulling it away, it caught my eye what exactly was happening. There was the word name at the top with an underline and nothing above it. And see, in Mrs. Johnson's fourth grade class, you don't forget to write your name. So I spent my next recess sitting in class with no friends and a piece of paper writing Seth Michael Kurtz, Seth Michael Kurtz, Seth Michael, I don't even write my middle name on my paperwork and Ms. Johnson doesn't care. You write first middle name and oh thank goodness my parents named me Seth, which isn't short for anything because whatever's on your birth certificate is what you're writing. If, if, if you're Joe and, and you go by Joe but your full name is Joseph, guess what you're writing? You don't get to write Joe on your paperwork. So I was lucky that I I at least had Seth to write. But 50 times I had to write it out. Now let me ask you this. Was the purpose of all of this that I would practice writing my name? No. Was the purpose of all of this that I would know my name? No. Was the purpose behind all of this that my teacher would have my name written out 50 times? (laughs) No. The point was that when I did something, I would attach my name to it every single time that I wouldn't forget, that I wouldn't make mistakes, that I would learn from the things that I had done. So all of the things that are broken in this world, they're not the point. God doesn't do all of this to make us suffer. And he will bring it all to fruition when it's all said and done. And there will be a day that there's no more pain, there's no more hurting, there's no more suffering. Because that's the will of God. That's what he wants for us, So the first thing for us to understand, going into all this, going into the book of Galatians, is we need to understand the gospel. This is ground one. This is the rule. That Jesus came, lived a perfect life, and died for each and every single one of us. And offers us salvation. Doesn't just give us salvation, but offers us salvation. That we have the opportunity to accept. And then we, we have a tendency, just like the, the Galatians, to run into one of two problems. Or sometimes even both. There are two routes for errors. And you always run the risk, but especially when you're early in your walk with Christ, to be impressionable to certain things, to certain people, to certain different, uh, different ideas. As Paul talks in Ephesians about being tossed to and fro by, by the winds while on the sea. This idea of believing anything that you're told. We're still susceptible to that. And the other area that I think we're more likely to fall into is mission drift. There's being impressionable, and there's mission drift. And the Galatians, in some ways, experienced both of these. Primarily, however, being impressionable to untrustworthy sources. And I think we fall to each of these, but primarily to mission drift. What's the point of all of this? And this is why we start with the gospel. This is why we have to know the things of Jesus. This is why we have to know who is God, what did he do, and why did he do it. So these two errors... We'll start looking at next week. We'll get to those next week. But for now, for this week, here's what I want from you. Just focus on the gospel. Know the things of God, what he's done for us, why he did it, and what it means for us. And so God, we come to you this morning thankful for for your sacrifice, thankful for your son. And and we just ask that as we move through this morning, as we move through this week, that, uh, that you would burden each of our hearts with the goodness of your son. That every decision that we make would be founded on the question of why did you come and die for me? That, that as, we, as we look at other people in this world, that, that we wouldn't just see flesh and bones, but that we would see people who have souls that are hurting and that are broken. And we would ask, what is it that Jesus did for these people? God, I pray that you press this deeply into our hearts. That we would be convicted every person that we look at. And that ultimately that we keep Jesus the focus of everything that we do. That we never forget his sacrifice. We never forget the things that he's done for us. And that that would pour us into a deeper relationship with him. That that would pull us into taking that next step of what it means to be a Christian. And God, we just ask that we never lose focus. That we never lose sight. But we always see you for who you are, for the way you love us, and we try to love others in the same way. And God, we thank you for this, we praise you, and we love you.